Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts and the latest in our series of weekly spoiler specials dedicated to the new live action Star Wars TV show, The Mandalorian. Oh, don't, don't know why he's a ghost. I don't know why. You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a spoiler for season two. Who knows? This one is dedicated to chapter five of the first season of The Mandalorian, which, of course, is on Disney Plus over here in the UK. Uh, it is the episode called The Gunslinger, which marks the return to the director's chair this season of Dave Filoni, who also wrote... So I was incorrect last week when I said that John Favreau wrote every single episode this season. He proved me wrong the very next episode. <laughs> so thanks a lot. Thanks a bunch, Favs. By the way, Chef is terrific. I revisited <laughs> Chef recently. It's absolutely so terrific. Good. It's so bloody good. Oh, my goodness. Should we talk about Chef instead of this episode? Oh, should um, we make that garlic uh, pasta at the beginning? It looks incredible. Oh, my Lord. Joining me to discuss do you mean Chef. The, do you mean the boba fettuccine? <laughs> oh, <God>. No. <laughs> Joining me to discuss Chef and a little bit of the Mandalorian are three of the finest pit droids around, my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara. Hello. Ben Travis. Hello. And James Dyer. Hello. Hello. So it's not that bit, Helen. It's the brisket when they go to oh, Austin, Texas. They oh. go to Franklin's Barbecue. And they and tear they into the meat. Oh. Oh, my God. Watching John Favreau tear into his meat brought tears to my eyes. It really did. I mean, it, it's been slow cooking for 24 hours. It just looks absolutely delicious. I know I've told you this before, but when that screened in the cinema, they'd run out of food. They'd had a buffet before the film, so none of us had eaten when we went because we were going to eat this big buffet. But we got there too late and it was already eaten. So we were sitting watching Chef with an empty stomach. And that bit, there was an involuntary just sort of uh, around the entire cinema. It was amazing. So, But I have, I have to say that... I liked Chef the first time I saw it, but I hadn't seen it. This is the second time I saw Chef. And it really clicked into place for me this second time around. And I was like, this is terrific. This may actually be John Favreau's best film. This is this is wonderful. It's personal. It's got a bit of edge. It's funny. It's moving. It's got great food. And I'm wondering if I might feel the same way about this episode, should I see it a second time? <laughs> let, uh, me, uh, let me just recommend everybody again, if you like Chef, if you like The Mandalorian, if you like Jon Favreau, if you like Dave Filoni, watch the episode of The Chef Show on Netflix, which is Jon yes. Favreau and Dave Filoni cooking at Skywalker Ranch using <laughs> vegetables grown in the gardens of Skywalker sorry, Ranch. It's sorry. amazing. My, my landline is going one sec. She means her mandline. Wow. <laughs> no one calls me on that number. It's only spam. Spam, spam, spam. That's sorry, tremendous. sorry. That was probably Spielberg. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I've got a once in a lifetime opportunity for this young journalist. I've been listening to the pod. I don't know why he speaks like this. I've been speaking. <laughs> I've been listening to the podcast for the last six years. She's got ideas. Call O'Hara now. Ask her to write Indiana Jones 5. Four. It's she I still think up. they should make force. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> anyway. Spielberg, and, Spielberg would have my mobile. It's fine. Yeah, Spielberg wants to find you. Spielberg will find you. Um, but yes, uh, I'm looking very much forward. I haven't seen anything of the chef show yet, but it's definitely oh. on my list. Oh, it's so good. It's everything you would love, Chris. There's an episode in the new series that's, that's Favreau and Sam Raimi making sourdough bread. It's It's glorious. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of the Russo brothers and the Kevin Feige mm-hmm. episode. I'm yes. aware of the Downing's on an episode. I'm, a, I'm aware the, of all the Robert these Rodriguez things, pizza episode. 
oh, than making uh, Rodriguez's si- signature pizza, oh, yeah. which he gave us the recipe for for the um, yeah. what was it the three hundredth issue, 300th the big episode, bumper yeah. episode in issue. Yeah, I've been doing podcasts too long. I think of uh, <laughs> magazines in terms of episodes now. All right, so we should probably discuss this episode at some point. This episode, of course, is called the Gunslinger. No relation to the Stephen King novel of the same name, part of the Dark Tower series, although it does include someone chasing someone else across a desert. So. Maybe it is an intentional, who knows. But a quick synopsis before we get into it. So Mando, having fought off a rival bounty hunter in a dogfight in the cold open, finds at the Razor Crest his ship is damaged and he has to land somewhere. Where does he land? Where does he find himself? Only bloody Moss Eisley on only bloody Tatooine. Oh, yes, indeed. A while there, he only goes to the same bloody cantina that Han Solo shot Greedo in. Oh, yes, indeed. And there he finds... A young bounty hunter played by Bobby Cannavale's son, which makes me feel incredibly old. I know, right? (laughs) uh, Remember when he was the young breakthrough? uh, I still think of him as the young breakthrough. Right? And he has a son who's old enough to, like, work professionally? What the hell, man? Deeply, deeply wrong. Deeply wrong. Uh, Anyway, Mando is recruited by this young bounty hunter, Toro Calligan, to capture Fennec Shand, played by Ming-Na Wen, uh, and she has taken refuge somewhere in the sand dunes, in the dune sea uh, outside Moss Eisley, and so off they pop on speeder bikes. After a few double crosses, um, Fennec Shand ends up dead, or does she? (gasps) Probably. And then Mando winds up shooting Toro Calican, and then off he pops, off Tatooine, and back into what we hope is the main story because these last two episodes have taken a kind of break I would say from the propulsive nature of the first three episodes Uh, and this episode I don't know I I felt it was fine but uh, maybe a little underwhelming second week in a row for me what do you think if there's a bright centre to the universe, this is the episode that it's farthest from. Oh, um, I now. didn't mind last week's at all. I feel that this is the first meh episode the Mandalorian has put out. The um, meh Delorean. Yeah, the meh Delorean. And I, I found this episode to be both kind of a bit nothingy and also just quite tedious. Like it didn't, it didn't really work for me on any level. Um, uh, well, I'm, we'll get into the various bits later, but I think some of the some of the attempts. Obviously, they're like we're back in Tatooine, we're back in Mos Eisley. I think some of the attempts. Uh, to conjure up a bit of nostalgia and be a bit knowing were really clumsy as fuck uh, and I don't think really worked at all. Um, so, yes, I have I have many thoughts that we'll get into later, but on, on the whole, meh. This was my least favourite so far, like James. I preferred last week's to this one. I, I think with this, well, obviously, for one, there was not enough baby odour in this episode. Clearly, that's an issue. Um, but beyond that massive oversight, I think what was going on in it, the there are a few characters that I just really didn't believe in. In this one, it's the first time that it's sort of broken the spell of the show. I just like did not buy into some of the key characters who were introduced in this episode. Um, so I, it just didn't work for me. And I, I felt like it should have been more exciting and tingly than it was because of all the um, very conscious throwbacky uh, like Tatooine stuff. But it, it fell a bit flat for me. I don't know. I didn't hate it. I just think that there's, there was a sort of, there was something missing from the central quest. I think that's the big thing for me. I think it would have worked if there'd just been a bit more weight to that central quest. I think what worked really well for me is this idea that it's not going to be easy to kind of keep going the way he was to kind of uh, find a way through for him and Baby Yoda just to, you know, escape their pursuers because 
I think that's what the um, the Fennec Shard character points out is basically he can easily bounty hunt when the biggest bounty going is for him. Like that's going to be a real cramp in his style going forward. So I think that is the major, I assume, mm. kind of lesson here um, is that, you know, things are about to get really fucking difficult for him. Um, so I like that. Um, I just thought that, you know, the relationship with Toro Calican was odd um you know is it a mentory thing is it a betrayal thing it's obviously both but it doesn't quite sing either way like there wasn't enough time maybe to play with that relationship and who brings in ming now wen for five minutes come on mm. that's just disrespectful i mean agent may deserves better than this and i feel like she and colson would never have signed off on this at least she got some good <laughs> fighting she got some good punches and kicks in there for the minimal screen time that she had that yeah. is true that is true and god knows I- toro calica needed a punch in the face oh my god what a <laughs> bell end that little earring that tiny earring there was nothing really about him that wasn't reason. annoying <laughs> he was he was dead meat from the moment he walked on screen. And um, I don't know, I'm kind of torn between wanting more character development for him so that we felt something for him at some point other than just annoyance at just everything he does and says. Uh, or or maybe the fact that he was dead meat, that he is just a plot device. Maybe we didn't need to get to know him that, that, that well. But the Ming-Na Wen thing, I think it's interesting. Uh, and I do wonder if that's a little bit of stunt casting where, mm. where you're literally going, oh, it's Ming-Na Wen. Okay, now she's going to take over this episode, and now she's going to drive things and manipulate them and be very three ten to you, man. She's going to, you know, turn what's his name, Toro Calican against Mando, and no, Toro just shoots her. Um, so maybe that's the maybe that's the shock. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I I didn't think he was dead meat as soon as he turned up. But I, I'm not sure that you. Maybe I should have done. I, I knew he was dead meat as soon as he you know turned around and betrayed Mando because that's that's narrative causality. If you betray somebody, you're definitely going to die. Um, but I I felt like I'm not sure we needed another sort of uh, young person taken under Man- Mando's wing. That felt a bit odd at the same time. So it was strange. The the casting in this series is like, let's just talk about this for another minute. It is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's like some kind of Mad Libs. You know, let's have Amy Sedaris as a droid-owning mechanic with, I don't know, no eyebrows and let's say a mullet. Like, who... What is that thought process? Like, how does that happen? It's just mad. I, I think the casting in this show is largely spot on. And the fact that I didn't like Toro Calican probably speaks volumes about Jay Cannavale's performance. <laughs> I thought you were going to say about him himself, because I was looking up who, no. who it was. And um, look, he just seems like he might be a bit of a dick. Can we say that? He... Uh, what? What, Jake Cannavale? <laughs> Jake Cannavale. Oh, no, yeah, I'm sure he's a he, lovely person. I don't know. He he is one of those people who tweets, <laughs> th- despite being in a Star Wars project, he was, like, shitposting about Episode Nine, which I know, I know a lot of people don't like Episode Nine. I mean, like, fair play to him. We've all done it. Yeah, he better says, look around you. <laughs> <laughs> the company you're in. No, let me let me live in hope. Yeah, he was like, I he, he on Instagram, he wrote, I'm in the Star Wars universe now. So surely I can't speak ill of episode nine, right? Wrong. Rise of Skywalker was hands down the worst Star Wars movie, an absolute fucking failure. Rise of Skywalker, by the way, dumbass title, was worse than the Phantom Menace and Last Jedi combined. Fight not me. wrong. He's one of those people on the internet. He's not wrong. He's one of those internet eggs. He's not. He right, because then not only not. does he not like Rise of Skywalker, he doesn't like Last Jedi, which is which is silly. 
that, that, that is aside, that is that, is, that aside, this is the rise of Canafali. You you've come on here <laughs> to assassinate his character, and yet you have only presented impeccable impeccable credentials for him. He assassinated his own character with the amount of exclamation marks, question marks, and capitals that he uses in his social media posts. Oh, well, we all know we all know from Terry Pratchett that multiple exclamation marks are the sign of a disturbed mind, so that is worrying. I mean, look, he's no Chet Hanks, that's all I'm saying. (laughs) He's not. Okay, on the scale, on the scale of disappointing (laughs) celebrity sons, he's not quite a Chet, but he's not a Colin Hanks either on the other end of the scale. I came to praise Jake kind of Valley, not not bury him. Um, <laughs> but we came to bury Toru Kalika, not praise him. That's what I'm saying. He, he's an annoying shithead in the show, and that speaks volumes about the, a good performance. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying Jake Cannavale yeah. is good. I am pro Jake Cannavale. Ben comes on here, just <laughs> ready to start a sort of, sort of, sort of war with the Cannavale family, like he's going to the mattresses. <laughs> what are you doing, Ben? I, Have you seen Bobby am... He's fucking massive. I am Fennec What's-Her-Name with a sniper <laughs> way you across the dunes. You wish you were. You wish. Come on. Nobody's Ming now when. This is going to end with Ben being plugged at point-blank range by Jake Cannavale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm safe because I'm social distancing, but he will find me in South London. <laughs> we'll zoom so, in on a speeder bike. The episode itself, I'm surprised actually, James, that you didn't like this episode because... As much as it is kind of like a treading water episode that doesn't really progress the overall story or the overall arc of of The Mandalorian, it's filled with stuff. You could say fan service, of course, or you could say warm and knowing, lovingly crafted in-jokes and references. It's filled Mm. with stuff. It's it's filled with shit attempts at such. So the bit I did like, I enjoyed the old school targeting display on both the Pursuing Bounty Hunter ship and the Razor Crest. I thought that was fun. I enjoyed that. But then as soon as you get to Moss Eisley, I was like, "Mm." like, there's a sound that comes out of the Razor Crest before Baby Yoda comes down that sounds a lot like the crate dragon call that uh, that Ben Kenobi uses in A New Hope. And I was like, that makes no sense. Sure. Whether that's intentional or not, let's move on from that. And then I got very, very annoyed by the uh, there are two banthers down there moment where he's looking through the same kind of fuzzy low res goggles that Luke uses. And then he turns around and there's two comedy sand people standing next to him. And it feels like a sad fucking, it feels like we're in holiday special territory at that point. First of all, oh. they're alarmingly clean. Like they're alarmingly well laundered for sand people. So they don't look used universe. And this show has been really good thus far about being very used universe. So that bugged me. And then the comedy negotiations with the sand people. It's just like this, this is just fucking terrible. Like, it offended me in its attempt at fan service. So no, sir, I said, good day. Good between, day to you, sir. Between Ben declaring war in the can of valleys and James <laughs> <laughs> going toe to toe with the Tuscan Raiders. The, yeah, on the sand people. <laughs> no. No, I, I quite liked the um, fucking Tuscans. I like the Tuscan Raider scene mainly for the Mando side of it because um, I really liked how super casual he was when he was doing the sign language. Like he was not bothered about the Tuscan Raiders at all. He was like sort of sort of slumped back doing his little doing his little casual sign language. Like yeah, we'll give you the goggles. It's fine. You have the goggles, and then we'll go. So I thought it had some quite nice um, like Mando body languagey stuff in there. Mm. But I know what you mean about the. It just felt like it was ticking off all the like. Here's a Star Wars. Here's a Star Wars. Here's a Star Wars. Here's a Star Wars. There's a Star Wars for you. And we have a Star Wars for each and every member of the audience. <laughs> Look into your chair. Everybody gets a Star Wars. So, okay. So let's think about this as well. So the so when they walk into the cantina, it is 
La Cantina. Okay, yeah, and there's another issue right there. Like, first of all, I thought we'd already established droids are not allowed in the Mos Eisley Cantina, and now one of them's tending bar? God damn it! Also, where are the modal nodes? Like, it was surprisingly quiet. Are they on tour? What is happening? Imagine you go to a pub and several years later you go back to the same pub and the exact same band is playing the exact same pub. Have you not seen Cheers? These things don't change. (laughs) Yeah, but there was no band playing in Cheers. I mean, nobody's going to hang out all day, every day in a pub where there's the same band playing all the time. But that song is a jam. It probably took off in the Star Wars universe. They're touring. You don't always want to dance, you know? Sometimes you just want to have a quiet drink in the corner with your feet up, sitting exactly like Han Solo did. <sighs> and that offended me as well. Get out I of know Han Solo's did. chair, you mm. fuck. Bloody <laughs> <The laughs> <droids>. hell. <laughs> What's going on this week? The droids thing well. is interesting, isn't it? In what way? Well, I mean, it makes... I mean, look, if there weren't droids a few years ago, things changed, James. It's possible there has been movement and that yeah, they've realised the, the cost... Yeah, and they've realised the cost-saving measures of having a droid behind the bar who won't, you know drink the drinks himself. Uh, Same itself. model as uh, as Jabba's sort of, uh, you know, um, his, his sort of slave indoctrination droid. I don't know what the actual droid's name is off the top of my head. You know, the oh one on that, that Jabba has that uh, fits. Uh, we oh, have yes. room for you on the master's sail You're a feisty little one, that one. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, that one might have needed a new job after the destruction of the sail barge. So, That's hey. true. Holy Maybe shit. Same. Maybe it is the same guy. <gasps> Maybe yeah, it is. That's it. It's his new job. <laughs> So things can change, but also, I mean, I'm still, you still get a, a taste of uh, Mando's absolute rule against droids here. Like his ship would be fixed much faster, probably cheaper if she was allowed to use her droids to help. And he's all like, no droids. And mm. like, why though, dude? Shitty little pet droids. Mm. That was a, it was very prequely that. Yeah. The uh, sort of yeah. comedy, comedy droids. But those were some of the cute comedy droids though. They're, they're quite funny. I like them. Um, I'm, I'm all for that. We do have a listener question about that, so we'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. So let's try and figure out the timeline of this. I'm sure there's obviously an answer for this and people know these things. But So this is five years after, after Return of the Jedi. But mm-hmm. how long is it after A New Hope? And you call it, you said Han Solo's chair, but like, was he only in it once? Did he only go there once? He's, I mean, he's not like Norm. Like, it's not like he, no one else can sit there. Like, I, it's fine. It's just, it annoyed me because because Calican's such an irritating character, uh, and I just it, it I felt he sullied he sullied the chair graced the by Han's <laughs> ass cheeks. It just it bugged me. Presumably, also there should be more than one cantina in Mos Eisley. If it's a spaceport, <laughs> you there's would expect like a Weatherspoon, just like a franchise. Yeah, not a Weatherspoon. Definitely not a Weatherspoon. <laughs> but any other front uh, pub would be fine. I mean, there should be an Irish bar there somewhere. Like, yeah, there's an Irish a bar everywhere pub. in the world. There should be a yeah. themed pub. So God, it's it's no. weird that there isn't. Now Helen's going after Weatherspoons. I feel like I'm the only <laughs> person on this right. podcast who hasn't declared war on someone or something. <laughs> give it time. Give it time. Um, yeah, but no, the, the, it's it's. I feel like there should just be more pubs. That's that's my major note on the cantina scene. I'm sh- I'm sure there is, but you know, would you have wanted to see a montage of him going to to a whole bunch of different cantinas, or do we just are we just okay with the fact that he just happens to walk into the cantina that is known to us? Well, it means nothing to him. It means everything to us. Maybe maybe there is just one cantina there. Maybe it's like because it's like a spaceport. Maybe it's like you know. Terminal Three, where it's just there's one you just got to eat there. There's nowhere else. It's the only place you can get food. So actually, yeah. there are many places in Terminal Three. Okay, now, I James, picked the wrong terminal. Which is that. a shit terminal, <laughs> Helen? Is it two? 
<laughs> which one has uh, which one has Nando's or Cheeky Mando's? Which one is that? Gatwick. Gatwick has a Nando's. Gatwick has the Nando's that does a Nando's breakfast. It's the only Nando's in the country that does a, oh, has a breakfast. That's good menu. Nando knowledge. Yeah, you are I, a Nandalorian. I, I'm sure I've told you about this before. This is why I'm on the Daily Mail website because what? several years what? ago. What? I went on holiday to Canada with uh, my wonderful fiance, and uh, we were flying out in the morning. We had a Nando's breakfast, and I tweeted about it uh, very excitedly. And then the Lad Bible somehow found my tweet and did an article about my tweet. And then all of the other websites, because it started trending, started doing articles about Nando's breakfasts based on my tweet and other similar tweets what did you including eat? the daily like, mail is it like it's peri, a chicken sausage or? it's a chicken sausage which is really good like a big long curly one is that a chicken penis um, what is that <laughs> no it's uh it, i mean it could be i don't know what sort of chickens they're breeding fernando's uh they also have oh the best thing is something which sounds disgusting uh they've just given it a horrible name corny browns which mm. but it's basically hash browns but like sweet corn hash browns they're delicious like a fritter it's a sweet corn like a fritter. fritter like a little sweet mm. corn fritter um so it's like a whole proper like breakfast menu breakfast items they do all sorts okay. of eggs benedict and all that kind of thing all right enough mando's adver- advertising <laughs> sorry nando's advertising um <laughs> yes <laughs> very confusing but the, the cantina thing's interesting don't you think in that uh I keep forgetting the guy's name. Toro, what's his name? Calican. Calican. Toro Calican. There you go. I've got it written down. Toro Calican. So he's sitting in the seat that Han is sitting in mm-hmm. when Han shoots Greedo. But mm-hmm. now, as we all know, uh, oh, Greedo, or, Greedo is, shoots first. <laughs> is he sitting in that seat or is he sitting in Han's original seat that he sits in when he sits down with Ben? I, I thought it was the same seat. I don't. I think he moves, doesn't he? Doesn't he move? Like, because he's on his way out when Greedo collars him, and they just sit down in the nearest seat at that point. I don't believe that's the seat he was at originally, which was a different alcove. But the I mean, one I don't have the floor plans of the cantina to hand. But the but, one uh, he's sitting in when he meets Ben, and then has a chat with Ben and Luke, seems to be further away from the door. This one seems to be right by the door, which is bad placement anyway, because there's going to be a draft. Yeah, uh, you might be right. But, I must admit, I, mean, I don't it's a really know planet, the. So. Uh, I, I don't know the floor plan all that well. <laughs> all right, but my point is that I think that's intentional sitting him there for the comfort for where Han had the confrontation with Greedo, because as we know, it is now canon that Han does not shoot first, whereas Toro Ugh. Calican does. I think that's intentional. Ugh. Ugh. I refuse. I I'm refuse that part that. of canon. Ugh, so. on every aspect of that. <laughs> yeah. Ben, with your hatred of the Canafali and their entire clan, where do you stand? Yeah, chuck him in the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to say about this before we take some, some listeners' questions? Who is the figure at the end? Well, that is the question, isn't it? That's the big uh, question hanging over this episode and, to a certain extent, more episodes than this. Um, now, it was revealed only days ago that Ming-Na Wen will be appearing in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. So in what capacity, we do not know, only that she will be participating. So perhaps said unknown figure did patch her up. But in terms of theories, people have said, could it be, and I won't insert the name, but there's a character who turns up later in the series. People wonder if it is that character, but I don't imagine so, uh, since it's never explicitly said. Or people have said, could it be Boba Fett? I think the Sarlacc pit might have something to say about that, but sure. Um, Who knows? Boba Fett's dead! Accept it! Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Who knows? 
the identity of that uh, that person remains unknown. I have a question. Also credited on the cast list is Rio Hackford, son of Taylor, I believe. Um, oh. Who is credited as Riot Marr. Fucking hate the Hackfords. God, the Hackfords just make me mad. Are you okay? <laughs> you, you are you just, you're just taking against a family, are you? I had to declare it, yeah. The Hackfords wow. just seemed as good as any. Although I'm, that does mean uh, I'm declaring Helen war on Helen Mirren. Mirren. Yeah, you don't want to declare a war on Helen Mirren. She no, will take it to the mattresses. Her son is Jason Statham, exactly. and his sister is Vanessa Kirby, and you don't want to get into that mess. <laughs> Vanessa Kirby is also sister to the Queen, so you've offended the whole royal family. I mean, it's getting really complicated out there. <laughs> wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a fucking second here. So Real Hackford is Helen Mirren's stepson, mm-hmm. right? Helen Mirren was in The Long Good Friday, mm-hmm. playing Victoria, mm-hmm. the girlfriend of Harold... Shand, as in <gasps> Fennec Shand? Oh, my God. Mind blown. So you're saying that basically, yes. I don't know what I'm Riot saying. Mar, whoever that person is, and I have not identified where in the episode that person is. He, oh, is that okay. the... Is He's that the hunter at the beginning. At the beginning, who, who yeah. dies. Yes. But is, is a long lost stepbrother no. in law? I am saying that Fennec Shand is the great, 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 grandmother of Harold Shand in the Long Good Friday. So therefore she has to live. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the end of The Mandalorian will be the man- Mando get into um, a, a sort of speeder car and Pierce Brosnan will be in the front seat and he'll turn around and he'll have his blaster on, on Mando and that's how it's going to end. Wow. That'd be dark. Spoiler. Spoiler for the Long Good Friday. There, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 40 years old this year, the Long Good Friday. Well done. Mm. Well done, everybody. Great movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, I ruined the end, but that's fine. Totally, totally fine. Uh, so um, one more thing about this. What did we think of the sort of the, the shootout between Fennec Shand and uh, Tora Cascalino or whatever his name is? What's his name? What's his name? <laughs> Toto something. Tony, between Tony Cascarino and uh, Fennec Shand and and Mando. What do we think of that? Uh, but Mando takes a couple of good licks. The yeah. best car steel holds up well. It was okay. I liked yeah. the I liked the speeder bikes. The speeder bikes was mm. fun. The shootout. Um, I guess it was just a nice introduction to to Ming-Na Wen's character that she's kind of got the drop on them, and um, it was nice to see what's the big lizard slug dewback. The dewback. <laughs> that was nice. We could see one of them. You know, they're pretty cute. Yeah. But I struggle. I think I just struggle because I feel nothing. Like we were saying, I feel nothing towards the Toro Calican character. Tony Cascarino. Rancho Carne Toros. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Toto's Africa. Um, yeah. They, you don't. So you don't really enjoy that scene massively with them because he's such an irritating bellend. He is deeply, <laughs> deeply irritated. But also the action sequences, it's, I mean, as you say, it's fine. It's very fine. Like, it's not terrible. It's not, you know, good. But mm. it's okay. 
I think I think you get a little bit of a sense of of Mando's competence, if you like, uh, in the sense that you know he's all like, I mean, yeah, at this range I'm fine because I've got the best cross seal. I know what I need to worry about. It's not that kind of you know he, he's just got the sort of he knows what to not worry about and knows what to does need to be done. And I kind of like that about him. But apart from that, it wasn't it wasn't a great action scene. No. I think compared to the heights of the uh, of the Jawa sequence in in episode mm. two, <laughs> like that was really really fun and exciting and felt like a really inventive kind of action sequence of him trying to crawl up the um, sand crawler. Whereas this just didn't have the same sort of energy. That for me is still sort of the peak of the series so far. I think I really liked the shootout in in three when he was trying to escape. Uh, in chapter three, when he was trying mm. to escape with with Baby Yoda under his arm, and he's pinned down by you know the entire bounty hunter guild. Um, I, I kind of agree with you, and I agree with I, I agree with myself about the the end of the episode. Um, I just realised there was no one to agree with. I'm agreeing with myself. Uh, <laughs> the end of the episode when the the final shootout between Tony Cascarino and, and Mando, uh, which I thought was just shot really perfunctorily, and I expected it to be a big Western riff, a big mm. action throwdown type thing, but it's it's over in seconds. I think with that character, that him shooting. Um, uh, Fennec Shand was like a he is objectively not a good bounty hunter slash assassin but he is he has no honor he um is a sort of, sort of scrappy and dangerous in a way like the fact that he's not very good but he's desperate and he's kind of cornered mm. makes him dangerous and I feel like they didn't necessarily get that danger into the um confrontation with Mando where it's like oh he's obviously not a massive threat to Mando but actually he's quite unpredictable and he's sort of scared and cornered so he actually might lash out in a way that could spell a bit of danger you didn't get that feeling for me in in that final confrontation yeah absolutely none none whatsoever and also it was a very interesting decision by Filoni to stage a lot of the action in pitch blackness <laughs> like, I had genuine problems making out a lot of what mm-hmm. was going on towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the episode yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's there's a fine line to walk. On one hand, you don't want the sort of obviously artificial blue light that you get in a mm. lot of, you know, Hollywood night scenes. On the other hand, you do kind of want to be able to see. And huh. and I feel like that's a, an important kind of, you know, balance to get right. What always bugs me more, more than not being able to see, is what they used to do in Buffy, where they would just shoot it in the day and then put like a dark filter over it. That used to bug them. With ragingly cut sort of like shadows on the floor, like really clear. Sh- it's like, this is definitely not done at night. What are you doing? That's, well, that's, a, very, that's a very classic technique yeah. uh, all the way through Hollywood, Hollywood yeah. films from, well, from, 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 from when time began. They did much. a lot in Buffy, though. Okay. <laughs> early seasons, I should say. Everything uh, comes early to seasons. It does, as, as it does. things should. Yeah. Uh, mm. it, it was in the, I think mainly the first season, I would say. After that, they did a lot more night shoots. But I think in season one, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but uh, that happened a lot. All right. Well, let's bring this bad boy home unless you have anything else you want to say. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, just make it stop. Excellent. More baby Yoda. Um, here's some listener questions. Uh, this one comes from at Curator John, and uh, he basically asks about the pit droids that we see in this. Uh, he thinks we last saw the pit droids in The Phantom Menace, certainly on Tatooine in The Phantom Menace. Uh, maybe we saw some in, in, in Attack of the Clones, but I can't remember. I don't know that film very well. And coupled with the battle droids from the flashback in the previous episode, this, does this represent a shift in attitude to the prequel trilogy? I think the only other reference in the live-action films is Jimmy Smith's appearing in Rogue One. Is serious Star Wars finally learning to love the prequels? 
(laughs) (laughs) I don't think that there's a... I don't think that Serious Star Wars hates the prequels. I think when Disney bought out uh, Lucasfilm, they made a decision to angle more towards the original trilogy because those are the more popular ones. And I think they they tried to move away from doing prequel-related content, which is why they cancelled The Clone Wars. But I think that has softened. They have since renewed The Clone Wars for a final season, so that's back again. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the prequels are not... As uh, as your man Cannavale has said, the worst that Star Wars has ever been. So I think you know <laughs> the prequels are slightly redeemed by uh, by um, you know relativity. Yeah, there was always good stuff in the prequels. It's just that overall they were maybe not so mm. great. And the Clone Wars, like that, has been the introduction to Star Wars for an entire generation of yeah. kids at this point. Like they are massively popular and yeah. rightly so. And I think we're going to see some more links to the Clone Wars in the future of this series um, from things I've read. So uh, so yeah, I think that's kind of a, a good thing. I, I like these droids just because they remind me of TikTok in Return to Oz, um, <laughs> which is never a bad thing. So uh, there's something about the, you know, the shape of the hat or head. Yeah. Or, top yeah. of them. It's kind of cute. Yeah. I think they're cool. I've said this in the podcast before, uh, on Star Wars podcast before, um, but there's an entire generation of people, this is a little bit you know, like what Helen said as well, mm. but there's an entire generation of, of, of kids who grew up with this as their Star Wars, with the prequels as their Star Wars, and when they watch the original trilogy, they think it's old and hooky and slow, and what's all this practical stuff? What, what, why are people picking things up with their hands when they could just CG it in afterwards? Um, there's, and then there's obviously people who, who will grow up loving the Rise of Skywalker, Jimbo. It's, it's going to happen. Look at Ben. He's already all yeah. in on it. But I think that Star Wars is slowly beginning to acknowledge that. That there's a whole group of people out there who will genuinely think that Attack of the Clones is a five-star film, and they and they haven't taken quaaludes. There will be there will be there will be people who will defend that film and those films. <laughs> those films, to, yes, to the death. Maybe not that one. I I, I do think it, there's something really nice in. Um, like using elements of because the design and the look and the feel of that trilogy is so different to the original trilogy I think what a lot of people wanted from more recent Star Wars stuff was was the tone the feeling the adventure storytelling of classic Star Wars but I think to bring that and then also bring in some of the visual and design elements of of the prequels is a really nice thing to mm. do to tie everything together that's one of the reasons that i will i will defend the canto bite sequence in in uh, the last jedi I, I every time i watch that film i'm less bothered by that whole sort of detour and i think it's actually something really nice that it's it's new but it also it feels mm. like it's paying a bit of tribute back to the prequels as much as the rest of um the recent sequel trilogy pays tribute to the original Star Wars. Yeah, I like it's, it's nice yeah. to mix all of that stuff together. Makes the universe feel more cohesive. Yeah. You have to acknowledge yeah. that it exists. It is Star Wars. Whether you love it or not, it's still part of the Star Wars universe. I think that's it. I think it's about cohesiveness because I think that was the big problem that certainly I had with Rise of Skywalker was it's fine if you don't like uh, storytelling elements of Last Jedi, but you can't simply pretend they didn't happen. They did, and now you have to deal with it. And I think... Um, that's what's good here. Let's take the bits that people didn't hate from the prequels and build them into this so we kind of have a universe that, yeah, like you say, that, that joins up. It's important. At Beth underscore Wag asks, if Sanctuary, last week's episode, was an episode of the week, what was the gunslinger? Another episode adds, of the week? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my problem. Yeah, she also adds the word sheesh. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
I don't think this one went down that well. That See, well. I think uh, I think Sanctuary was an episode of the week format. This just feels like filler. It just it just it just feels like filler. Like there is no you could excise this completely and suffer absolutely nothing. It introduces nothing of worth. As far as we know, if if Ming Na Wen is back next season, then maybe there's more going on here. Perhaps then, but, but yeah. Helen's earlier point that it's important in showing Mando even more than last week that there's nowhere he can run, there's nowhere he can hide. He can't even make a living now without really going rogue, without really turning to the dark side. So presumably he will now take the fight to whoever the fight needs to be taken to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you know, uh, even though I haven't, I, I'm still, I'm now in uncharted territory with this show. I still, I do know about the stuff. I did write about it for the, the cover feature. I just haven't seen the last few episodes, but I do know there is another character to come in who's quite important. And, uh, you know, and uh, I suspect that we may see some earlier characters that we have seen before. I'm sure Fern Herzog will show up. I'm sure Gina Carano will show up. I'm sure Carl Weathers, we haven't seen the last of him either. So uh, I suspect that we're now back into to the the final three episodes and we're going to be heading heading towards the end of the of the season and heading towards the end of this this particular storyline i would think I, I think what's weird about this as a sort of um episode of the week sort of adventure of the week episode with with last week's with sanctuary it was like yeah it's kind of adventure of the week but actually the atst stuff at the end was really fun and felt quite it felt i think i said in last week's podcast felt a lot bigger than you would see in any other TV show's episode of the week stories. Whereas this one, as much as it had so many familiar elements and all of the Tatooine and Mos Eisley stuff and loads of returning things, last week I look at it as, as sort of, oh, it was a, like a decent episode, but actually the ATST stuff was, was really fun and really big and cool. And this one I don't go, well, it was an okay episode, but actually it had all the Tatooine stuff and that was great. I didn't feel as warmly towards it even as even as last week's. Question from at DavyK800 on Twitter. Is Baby Yoda too much of a distraction within the series? It's now essentially about a bounty hunter that's piss poor at his job. I get that he creates Mando's new arc, but he's only completed one bounty out of three and he always needs a sidekick. How dare you oh, besmirch the name of Baby harsh. Yoda. Uh, I will say that there's some seriously dodgy childcare going on here. It just leaves him <laughs> in the ship, leaves him with the random mechanic. It's like, seriously, <laughs> someone should call the Imperial Child Protective Services because there's something going on here. I think that would be a very bad idea, given that they're the ones, you know, looking for him in the first place. Well, just yeah, leave the authorities out of this. <laughs> she's I, that she's was not properly that... CRB check childcarer. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> No, she's not. I that that character and that whole situation as well didn't ring true to me. There was something about that whole story. Like like you said, it's weird that everybody is after Baby Yoda. Everybody is trying to find him. If anybody gets their hands on him, it's gonna be horrible. And he leaves him alone in the ship, and then she just sort of picks him up. And I don't know that whole mm. that whole story just didn't work for me. And I didn't love her character either. It felt a bit. Oh. I don't know, it felt very cartoonish in a show that seems to have strayed away yeah, from a lot of 100%. cartoonishy feeling. I, I enjoyed I her enjoy 80s I, hair, though. <laughs> yeah, very 80s. I quite enjoyed the, um, the her first encounter with Baby Yoda where she hears, you know, hears a noise, there's alarm, her droids are freaking out, and then this <laughs> incredibly, insanely cute thing emerges. Just we like, got to hey. see the walk again. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, yes. sorry, the Baby Yoda moment of the week came in the um the opening chase the the sort of um uh the the speed chase with the other bounty hunter uh and when mando has to pull the brakes on the razor crest 
and the, yeah, the ship sort of grinds to a halt and Baby Yoda's ears flat forward and then flat back <laughs> in that sudden lurch. Go back and watch the opening two minutes. Best bit of the episode. I mean, I have questions about their inertial dampers, though. I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) There are some physics questions to be had there, but the less said about that, the better. That's not bring physics into Star Wars. We'll be here all week. We'll have Neil deGrasse Tyson calling in. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, why do I get the sense that you're uploading images of baby Yoda's ears to Pornhub? (laughs) Have you been looking at my uh, internet history? (laughs) No, I've been I've been on Pornhub. There's nothing but Baby Yoda ears at the moment, and it's all from a, a T a T Ravis. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Um, anyway, a couple of last questions at Gambit One Eight One. Last question this week. Five episodes in, do you think the decision to go week by week was a good one? Hang on, you talk about these spoiler specials or the show itself, or, or would this have benefited more from a binge approach? I personally like it as it gives the story a bit of time to breathe. I think if it was all in one go, people would complain about pacing. No patience in Dawson's Creek. Yeah, I, I bet it's not. It's not designed to be watched all in one go. You can tell from the pacing of the show. Like it's not. It's not a binge show. It's designed to drop week by week. The, like the grammar of the story. <laughs> it's like the grammar of the storytelling is sort of designed around that. But yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it week by week. Also, nobody needs to binge listen fucking all of these spoiler special podcasts. That'd be the death of them. <laughs> We're so sorry for everything. <laughs> <laughs> but mainly the, the declaration of war and the can of alleys, the hackfoots, weatherspoons, and whoever else. Who did, James, you declared war on someone. I can't remember who it was. I think, I think at this point it was possibly Dave Filoni. <laughs> 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 if you went after Dave Filoni, would that be a Dave felony? <laughs> Jesus. It would depend what you did. Oh, that's the line. That's where we draw the line. Holy shit. I mean, that was a terrible pun, though, so fair enough. That's a fucking great pun. That's a world-class pun. You dream of puns like that. Anyway, I think on that bombshell, that is it for this week's The Mandalorian Spoiler Special. Join us next week for more Mandalorian Spoiler Special-related fun, where we'll be discussing Chapter 6, which is simply called The Prisoner. Ooh. Do you think it's a remake of The Prisoner? You're right yes. there, James. <laughs> yes. Wait, are we, are we boring you? Yes. <laughs> this yeah, episode I, has I, just I, done I, me in. I haven't discussed our usernames this week, so I'm going to do it as we as we sign off. Uh, keep them peeled for more spoiler specials coming your way over the next few weeks. We're going to have uh, we're going to be dipping into our retro spoiler specials, uh, and the first one coming up should be. The Raid. So we'll be doing a spoiler special for Gareth Evans' The Raid, featuring an exclusive interview with the great Gareth Evans himself. Uh, We do have, obviously, the MCU retro spoiler specials that we are sitting on. We're trying, full disclosure, we're trying to get interviews for those, um, which is why I'm holding back on them for uh, a couple of weeks at least. So no guarantees, no guarantees, but I would like to, where I can package those with interviews so we'll see what happens uh and then we're also going to have a spoiler special army jimbo uh the very first well second technically empire pilot crossover yes uh, very which, is, which is exciting uh we'll be doing a spoiler special for the wonderful save me two uh with the show's creator and star lenny james we will, and indeed. that's going to be up either on friday or on monday depending on uh, depending on uh, my, uh, well just me basically <laughs> yeah, <depending laughs> you know, on you. my schedule my mental state the whole thing but uh, that's going to be very very exciting very very fun indeed but until then until that auspicious occasion until we meet again it is goodbye from the Thrawn Identity 
James Dyer, explain yourself. Thank you. Well, I thought initially I was like, oh, can I go off canon? But of course, Grand Admiral Thrawn has been brought into canon uh, by the animated show. So I, it's, it's now allowed. Of course, you remember Grand Admiral Thrawn appeared in the Timothy Zahn trio of novels, which came out in the hinterland after Return of the Jedi before Phantom Menace when Star Wars was on the ebb. And those novels are often credited with bringing excitement of Star Wars back to the mainstream. So, you know, good times. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a pun on the Bourne Identity. Also that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye-bye, James. Bye. (laughs) It is goodbye. From Baby Yoda's Day Out, a.k.a. Ben Travis. Hello. Yes, I mean, (laughs) goodbye. (laughs) Uh, Which I've been... I was struggling to come up with a Baby Yoda thing for this week because he's barely in it, but he does have a little day out in the droid pit. Uh, And also it's a fun pun on uh, the 90s John Hughes-produced classic, (laughs) Baby's Day Out, where Joey Pants gets terrorised by a gorilla. Strong we need to have use a discussion of classic. about classic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's wow. Look, look, five-year-old me loved it. Absolutely loved that shit. It was great. Okay, okay, excellent. Uh, <laughs> and it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara, aka Ray of Sunshine. Goodbye. I mean, this is it's Ray with an E, so that's all okay. I could come up with. It is sunny sunshine. today, though. Hurrah! It is. It's a lovely day. It's a lovely, lovely day. And it's goodbye from me, a.k.a. Suckass. And yes, that is both a play on Suckus, the bounty hunter. I'm continuing my bounty hunter theme, but also a description of this week's episode. Uh, <laughs> hopefully things will pick up for next week's episode, The Prisoner. Uh, until then, this is the way I have spoken, and I am now off to make peace with the Hackfords, Weatherspoons, the Canofales, <laughs> and Tony Cascarino. I may be sometime. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.